excited about my next guest. We continue on this theme of education because that's what she has been really focused on for some time, for all good reason. Um, Liz Thompson is, she runs the Cleveland Avenue Foundation for Education, and she runs pretty much everything she gets involved in. She is a Chicago native, grew up in Cabrini-Green, attended Lane Technical High School, went to Purdue University, engineering degree, um, then ran one of the technology companies, AT&T, Ameritech, and she is now running the Cleveland Avenue Foundation for Education. So we've had uh, Don Thompson on her her husband. We've had Andy Zopp on, who runs the um, the project to invest in black and Latinx businesses and women businesses. And now we have um, half of that triad on in Liz Thompson. Good morning, Liz. How are you? I'm well, Rufus. How you doing? I'm good. Glad to have you on. Um, I'm delighted to be here. So tell me all the things I just messed up in giving your bio off the top of my head. <laughs> well, I didn't run AT&T. Um, I think that's the only thing. <laughs> Everything else sounded good. <laughs> uh, and I missed the fact, I didn't mention the fact that you raised these two beautiful children of your own oh, and man. then all the others that you raised around them, uh, which, mm. is, which is just wonderful. That's my greatest. That's, that's at the top of my bio, Rufus' mother. Mother to Xavier and Maya at the absolute top of the bio. Okay, well, don't tell anyone that I brought it up last because they were, okay, it, was just, right. it was just a given that that, um, <laughs> that that is who they are and what, what they've been doing. So, Liz, tell us what's going on. What's going on with the Cleveland Avenue Foundation for Education? Well, first, um, well, why don't you tell us yeah. what it is because I only introduced it, but talk to us about the Cleveland Avenue Foundation for Education. Sure. So, Rufus, about six years ago, um, Don at the time was CEO at McDonald's, and we were trying to figure out a lot of things, but one of the things we were exploring was how could we have impact in a way that we had been doing, you know, for the previous 20 years, but we wanted to do it in a more structured way, in a way that would allow us to, um, you know, have broader and deeper impact and at the same time invite other folks along with us to do it. And so we decided to start our family foundation. We wanted to role model good behavior for our kids, and we wanted to show young people all around the country that, you know, with a little bit of help, uh, Don and I, for example, could accomplish great things, and so could they. And so we decided to start the, the family foundation. We named it the Cleveland Avenue Foundation for Education because, as Don mentioned on your show a couple weeks ago, Rufus, both of us grew up on Cleveland Avenue in Chicago, four blocks apart, and we thought there was nothing more meaningful than our origins in order to talk about where we were headed. And so that's where the name Cleveland Avenue Foundation for Education came from. And we decided we were going to focus on three main areas, the first one being college uh, persistence and success, the second one being career attainment, and then finally, um, philanthropy in the black community, honoring the traditions of philanthropy dating back centuries in the black community. So that's what the Cleveland Avenue Foundation is all about. Liz, I need to just back up a minute uh, with you in particular, because the conversation we had before you came on, I spoke with our audience. We all spoke with Stacey Davis Gates of the Chicago Teachers Union. And mm -hmm. in that conversation was the discussion of, obviously, schools and the 
lack of preparedness the the buildings may be and some and often the lack of preparedness that our children are in coming out of that but the people who live on the south side or other parts of the city may just not have a good reflection of what Cleveland Avenue actually is or in fact was but you and Don both live there and that was yeah. right there in Cabrini Green so talk some if you would Liz cuz we haven't even had this conversation but talk mm-hmm. some about the early years of your life we know you went to Lane Tech and Lane Tech is a a high achieving school here in the city and everybody doesn't get to go to Lane Tech or Whitney Young or Walter Payton or Northside. Um, but you were able to do whatever was required to get into Lane Tech at that time. So talk some about your elementary years, where you went, what some of the values were that you learned there that allowed you to get into the next level and allowed you to go mm. on from there. Yeah. Thanks for asking that Rufus. So I grew up, I'm the youngest of six. Um, My mom and dad lived in uh, what was called Francis Cabrini Homes. For those folks that know the history of Cabrini Green, there were the row houses, the Francis Cabrini Homes, um, and then there were the high rises, the green uh, homes, and that was combined to be uh, Cabrini Green. We grew up in the row houses, and we were there from the 40s, Rufus, and Mm. so um, my family grew up there with Italians, a majority of Italians at the time, because that neighborhood was, um, you know, an Italian part of town in its history. And so as it was changing over, um, we were there prior to the change. And so a lot of our neighbors were were Italian. This is, of course, way before my time. But uh, growing up as the youngest of six, I had the opportunity. I tell people all the time, I wouldn't trade where I grew up for anything in the world. Uh, born in the early 60s, you know, it was a time of transi- transition for the entire city. But in particular, over there, where a lot of the white neighbors that we had moved out, the high-rise buildings that were there, um, you know, started seeing more uh, poverty and lack of opportunity. I mean, my dad was was in that where he lost a job. He worked for a printing company, got laid off, uh, and unfortunately turned to the bottle, as so many you know men did at the time that couldn't find work, just wanted to provide for their families, but couldn't find a way to do so. And so he turned to alcohol to try and soothe some of that. Um, but I was in a loving, caring family, Rufus, and that neighborhood was a community. You know, you I, one of the fondest memories I have was on the 4th of July where everybody would bring their grills out in front of, the, of our apartments. And, you know, you could smell the barbecue in the air by 7 a.m. in the morning. And then the music came on and there was nothing but love in that community. And that's how I grew up. That's the Cabrini Green that I know. It was caring, it was family, it was community. The elementary school that I attended, Edward Jenner, was literally right across the street from where we lived. And so I would walk to school every day. Uh, It was a big school. I think we had 1,500 kids. It was a super large elementary school. Um, I had what I call the greatest teachers ever. Not a single black teacher, but all of my teachers were passionate about educating kids. They were passionate about the students in their classrooms. They instilled in me a lifelong love for the profession of teaching. Um, and so I was, I was a good student. I excelled, Rufus, particularly in math and science. 
my brothers and sisters had excelled, and so that was just what I was going to do. My parents were very supportive of me, and so when it came time to take the admissions test to get into a school, um, I did well. And my brother and my sister had gone to Lane Tech, and so that was a foregone conclusion for me. That's where I was going to go. And high school were for the best years of my life. I'm just going to say it. Wherever you go, whatever you do, remember the honor of Lane. And uh, had a great time there. Got prepared for engineering school. Went on to Purdue. Got my degree in electrical engineering and, and took the journey from there. Thank you for that, Liz. Because I didn't know a lot of what you just shared. And I did know having, I went to Lane Tech for my freshman year and was really shocked just because I didn't know anybody from Cabrini Green, that as many people who lived, probably some of the folks, if I, wonder, I wonder now if I was there with your brother uh, or one of them during that time, so many people were from Cabrini Green that were at Lane Tech because we were getting a much mm-hmm. different picture of what life was like in public housing. And mm-hmm. uh, for those who don't know, if you live north of Roosevelt Road during a time, Lane Tech is where you went. If you live south of Roosevelt Road, Lindblom was where you went. So people mm-hmm. of a certain age uh, who went to one of those schools were probably those who would have been some of the highest academic achievers in our community. So, um, And when I was at Lane Tech, it was all boys. Girls came in the next year. So Earthman Cousins, who I think you know, was one yeah, of the first. Yep. She was one of the first women to come in and graduate from Lane Tech. We're talking to Liz Thompson Hi. about her life and times and the Cleveland Avenue Foundation. Liz, you mentioned that. As a child, you were good at math and science, two of the key things that actually get you into Lane Tech. What made you good and interested in those things, and what do you think is happening now in our schools where we find fewer and fewer of our children, in particular our young girls, who are interested in these subjects? Yeah, Rufus, I don't know. I think maybe growing up, let me let me just start by saying my mom is was, God rest her soul, was the smartest human being that I knew. And while, you know, she was born in Chicago in 1924, Hmm. let's just say not a ton of opportunity for her as a black woman at that time. But nonetheless, she was the smartest person that I knew. And so I wanted to be like her in every way. And so, you know, I loved school. I loved to study. And then my brother, who had gone to Lane Tech, and who was at the Naval Academy, um, first African-American president of, of a class of midshipmen at the wow. Naval Academy. Um, you know, he was doing amazing things, and I looked up to him so much. Wow. And all of my brothers and sisters, just smart, brilliant people. And I credit that to having two loving, wonderfully doting parents in our household. Um, but I just, I just wanted, to, I wanted to be like them. And so I studied a lot, but I loved it, Rufus. I love math. I love math to this day, and I love science as well, and my kids do too. So I think it just, you know, it's what you grow up with in the household. And I think those things, that shows up on all the boards that you're on, because people recognize what Liz is paying attention to. But go on, I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, And so when 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 it was time to go to high school, um, it was, it really was, as I said, it was a foregone conclusion that that's, that that's where I wanted to go to. And thankfully I was able to, to test into there. But when you ask about what's happening with our kids today, um, nothing is happening with our kids today. That's not, you, you, they're as smart, they're as brilliant, they're as creative, 
as they've ever been. Um, we don't always have that expectation of them. And as we know, kids will rise to whatever level of expectation you set, be it high or be it low. And so uh, they are brilliant. And when we talk about girls, um, you know, I wish you could see the smile on my face right now. I know so many brilliant girls that are in math and science and in the STEM uh, courses as we talk about science, technology, engineering, and math. I mean, just absolutely brilliant. But we've got to let them know early on that they are capable of doing that work. We've got to eliminate the messages that say math is hard. You know how many times I've heard that math is hard? I'm not good at math. And, and the reality is, you know, math is as hard as English or any other subject. It's just how you look at it. And so if we let our kids know early on, you know what, you can do this. This is really not hard. This is something you can tackle if you put your mind to it. We will start to see the genius rise to the top that our young people already have. They just absolutely need to hear those messages. When we have young athletes out on the field and their coaches are telling them they can do it, we see what they're capable of. And when we have brilliant teachers in the classroom telling them the same, we see what our young people are capable of. And so we need to get more black teachers in the classroom telling our young people that they're capable of this, not that white teachers can't and not that white teachers don't, because they do. Like I said, I didn't encounter a black teacher in elementary school. And yet I had teachers telling me every day what I was capable of. We got to make sure that our teachers are letting our students know what they're capable of. And so many of them are. And we've got to make sure that our parents are telling them the same thing, which so many of them are. But our young people are brilliant, Rufus. They just need to be reminded of that and need to be given examples and see what they can do in the bodies of other folks that are doing the same thing. Indeed, and we should never accept the limitations that they put on themselves because it comes from someplace outside of them because math is logical right. and they absolutely can do it. So I'm, I will often tell them that they can, in fact, do what it is that they say that they can't. We've got a caller coming in, Liz, who I want to talk to, and when we come back later on, we're going to get right into the 54 Project. But Princess has been uh, – this is her second call in, so let's take her call and see what's on her mind this morning. Good morning, Princess. Uh- How are you? I'm fine. Greetings to everyone. Uh, I just wanted to say, uh, in regards to education here uh, in the city of Chicago, uh, I grew up in the state of Tennessee. Uh, I grew up in going to an all-African-American uh, school. Uh, as a matter of fact, they have one here in the city called Rosenwald. I don't know if you're familiar with that school. We are. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And I also did a research on it uh, since I've been older to see how it came about, and it was has really amazed me. Uh, and, you know, may God bless the man <laughs> that did what he done for the African-American people uh, put forth their education. But the thing that I don't seem to understand about here in Chicago, you know, I was raised in the South, as we call it our village. We call it rural Africa. The aunts, the cousins, the people across town, they all took part in educating us. It, even in the church house. The majority of my teachers when I was going to Rosenwald were African-American teachers. The principal was black. They were there in the church where I went every Sunday. And they had strong morals for as our education. 
they would even call you in the evening time to see if you did your homework. And that's what it's going to take in the city of Chicago for the African-American children. Everybody on every block, and I tell people, everybody in this city should have some books in the back of the trunk of your car. If you got kids on your block, you got time. God give us all the same amount of time. If you don't do nothing but take 20 minutes of your time and teach somebody else's child how to read and how to write, you have done quite well in the eyesight of God because it's going to take all of us to help our African-American kids. Thank you, Princess. Thank you for those thoughts and for that call. Um, when we come back after this break for news, traffic, and weather, we'll talk to Liz Thompson about the 1954 Project and what that means, which some of us already know just by the name, and what you're doing with that. But right now we have the opportunity to continue to talk to Liz Thompson about um, the CAFE, the Cleveland Avenue Foundation for Education. And while, Liz, we've gone through your story, which thank you for sharing that with us. It's really meaningful and helps to understand why this is the Cleveland Avenue Foundation for Education and not for any of the other ills or philanthropies that you could have participated in. We see why this one and why education was so important. So tell us about the 1954 project. When I first heard 1954, obviously my thoughts went to May 17th. I said, it must have something to do with May 17th, but tell us about Mm -hmm. what you're doing with the 1954 project, what it is and, and what's expected. Thanks, Rufus. And the previous caller, Princess, could not have set this conversation up any better. So thank you, Princess, for your comments. Um, So when Don and I were um, setting up the foundation and we had, you know, for the previous 20 years, gotten so much joy from being able to work with young people and seeing their potential just blossom with just the simplest of of help, you know, measures and, and just the belief in them and and just seeing their genius come to the surface, we decided that, okay, we want to bring as many people into this joy of, of doing this work as we possibly can. You know, our community is a very giving community, um, but we wanted to open more doors in the education arena and the philanthropic work that was necessary there. And so once we got things set up, I started exploring what what is the history of black philanthropy and how has it intersected with education in the past? And that led me to the Brown versus the Board of Education from 1954, Mm -hmm. where the Supreme Court handed down the landmark decision that, you know, state sanctioned segregation would no longer be the law of the land that we were to have equity in education, equity. I'm putting air quotes around that, Rufus. I see them. Um, and so you see them, right? And so, um, and so that was the new law of the land. The problems, though, were many. And one in particular that we really haven't talked about a lot in our country is this, that the integration that was to happen not only happened slowly, if at all, but it was only in one direction. And so black children were integrated into white schools, but very few white children were ever integrated into black schools. And so what happened, you saw the closings of many, many, many black schools across the South. And along with those school closings 
became the decimation of the teaching population, the principal population. We lost over 44,000 teachers and principals as a result of the Brown versus the Board of Education decision. Completely decimated the pipeline, and we really have never recovered from that. And so the 1954 project, Rufus, comes from our desire to see us really address the notion of equity in education, as so many people have worked towards. We're not the first, nor will we be the last, but we want to put our hat in the arena to work closer to that reality. And we want to really start addressing the problem of the lack of pipeline of black educators in our system. And so we aim to do that in three ways, Rufus. The first is we really want to recognize leaders in the education field, black leaders in the education field, that are doing really incredible, innovative, and impactful work. And so we will recognize them each year by awarding them with substantial grant money for them to continue being able to do their work. That's number one. The second part of the 1954 project is our desire to build a donor community. We want to honor the legacy of philanthropy in the black community. You know, I grew up not ever having heard that word philanthropy. Hmm. I didn't know what that word meant. I knew we were giving family. I knew Sunday in church. When that basket came around, we put into it. I knew when somebody in our neighborhood needed something, we did whatever we could to help them. And I knew that my mother, every Friday of her life, went to the local church basement And we made catfish dinners. I think I was maybe five years old. And all I could do was separate the paper plates. But I knew that that's just what you did. That was philanthropy. We just didn't call it that. And so I want to honor the tradition of philanthropy in the black community and guide it towards education. So that's the second part of the 1954 project. We want to build a thriving donor community that can help these leaders, help support them, in the work that they're doing towards education equity. And then the third component of 1954, Rufus, is we then want to signal to traditional philanthropy, um, foundations and other more established institutions that have significant resources to bring to bear on the education system. We want to signal to them the deep reservoir of talent that is in the black community, particularly our educators, and bring the resources that they need to continue doing their work. So that's what the 1954 project is. Let's recognize the black leaders in education that have been working in many cases for decades in order to advance education equity, in order to take care of our babies, and not just our babies, Rufus, but all babies, because they're is a pile of research that demonstrates that when kids have teachers of color, and particularly when black kids have black teachers, all the indicators are positive. They are 39% less likely to drop out of school. Our young black boys are 39% less likely to drop out of school if they have only one black teacher in third, fourth, or fifth grade. Our young girls are 29% less likely to drop out of school if they just have one black teacher in third, fourth, or fifth grade. 
And every one of the indicators is similar. They're more likely, three times more likely, to be identified for gifted programs with just one black teacher. They are more likely to apply for college with just one black teacher. They are 18% less likely to be disciplined if they have a black teacher versus if they have a non-black teacher. So the data is clear. The research is abundant that shows if we have more black educators, that students benefit, all students benefit, and particularly black students benefit. And so we're trying to increase the number of black educators, Rufus. We want to increase the culturally affirming curriculum that's available to our young people. And we also want to increase the programs that are available to increase economic mobility for our students. That's what 1954 aims to do. Which is a whole lot in there, Liz, as would be expected. You know, thinking about just the beginning and uh, what took place in 1954, your initial comments about the fact that we integrated into other spaces, but there was an integration back into ours and the loss of black teachers and principals in that time is really profound, particularly with the conversation, as I mentioned, that we had earlier with Stacey Davis Gates of the Chicago Teachers Union. And the, mm-hmm. the continuum is, is it never it's a it's a string that never broke because with the closings of schools here in Chicago, we continue to lose black teachers. We continue to lose mm-hmm. black principals certainly because those were being done with the suggestion that the schools were not performing without really taking into consideration the why the schools might not be performing or the challenges that children had, which Mm Stacey certainly made poignant with talking about the need for counselors, the need for nurses, the need for mental health, with all all of the additional strife and trauma that our children have in today's world. It certainly Mm -hmm. impacts how well a school can, in fact, perform. And when we think about integration and we have conversations where the discussion goes to what's happening in white schools, well, certainly in Chicago public schools, we don't have a lot of white schools because we don't have a lot of white children. But we do have mostly black children and brown children, and we need to ensure that their education is superior. can't even be equal. It needs to be superior, and we've got to do things Mm -hmm. to make that happen. And that sounds like exactly where you're going with these things on the 54 Project. Let's get deeper into these one, two, and three things that you mentioned. You know, you made a, a, a lot of great points in the last segment, and I just want to remind our listeners, we have had on our airwaves, on this show actually, conversations with Dr. Sonia Whitaker, who actually did an evening show as well last week, uh, who works on cultural competency. And even though there may not be black teachers, this is kind of how we make sure that our children are getting the right things that they need to know and understand this difference in cultural competency. There's also um, the Surge Institute with Carmita Vaughn Simon, who used to work with us at CPS, who's really working in this space of trying to bring forth leaders in education. So there's a lot that's going you on. You want to talk about black genius, Rufus. Mm. That woman right there, I just want to be like Carmita when <laughs> I grow up. Carmita's the real deal. So The uh, real deal. <laughs> yeah, so th- this push in all these places really helps to solve some of these issues that exist and the work that you're doing to recognize and try to bring forth this equity in education through this aptly named 1954 project is really important. So recognizing, recognizing that the equity and the need for black, black teachers and black educators is truly important. I'm reminded, Liz, and I, I, um, 
at our graduation, Dr. Benjamin Mays, who was a former president of Morehouse, um, mm-hmm. spoke. And I think about one thing often that he says, which is that the problem of our people is not low achievement. We can do anything. Mm-hmm. The problem of our people is low aim. We mm-hmm. simply don't shoot high enough. So, you know, in your in your thoughts about what your parents taught you, what your brother showed you, and this push with what you're giving in grants for equity in education is truly important in helping to move that move that needle forward. It's so true, Rufus. Um, you know, like I started the show talking about, our our young people will rise to whatever level of expectation we set. And when they are able to have the vision, look, you know, I say all the time, I'm successful because of where I came from, not in spite of it. The lessons that I learned walking home from school every day, the strategic decision-making that I had to make to get home safely, the strategic decision-making that young people have to deploy every day just to go from one block to another, these are real skills. The budget management skills that I had, I had a quarter for a week. (laughs) How was I going to use that? That was my allowance, a quarter. You talk about budget management. We have real-world skills from very early ages, right? We're learning things that could be deployed in a C-suite by the time we're 10 years old. And yet we don't put a label to it to help our young people understand just how valuable they are and the skills that they have, how applicable they are to real world very early in life. And so if we just let them know that, if we put language to what it is they are already capable of, all the places they'll go. And so at 1954, we know that our young people are 54% less likely to be identified for a gifted program if they have a non-black teacher. Well, we got to get black teachers into the classrooms to help them know that they are gifted right now. Yes. And so at 1954, Rufus, this is what we want to try and do. The research has also showed us that our black leaders in education are almost 25% under-resourced compared to their white counterparts. And that's why we thought it was so important to emphasize being able to get ample and flexible support in their hands for them to continue doing the work that we need them to do. And then the last thing is, you know, nobody, we, Irvin Johnson, Irvin and Cookie, we got them on the phone. And we Otherwise wanted known as magic. As magic. <laughs> We said, Magic and Cookie, help us understand, because, you know, they have been in the education uh, field for years. Right. And I wanted to learn from their experiences. And I said, help us build this out. Help us understand and learn some of the lessons that you learned, because you've been doing this work for 20 years. And Irvin said, you know, Liz, this is the first time that anyone has picked up the phone and asked my opinion on how to build something. They ask for my money all the time but they don't ask for my input. Now, if that's coming from Irvin Johnson, imagine our young people that are not getting asked for their opinions and their ideas. And so we want to honor our young students, our young geniuses. Can you imagine if we had more expectations of them? Things like Uber. I've got a dear friend, Shane Evans, who talks about if we unleash the power of black genius in our community, how many Ubers and how many Facebooks and how many of all of these new ideas would come from our community? Yeah. 
And so we got to see that happen, Rufus, because the power is there right now. The genius is there right now. And we just need more educators to be able to unleash that. Yes, and it is also the unearthing of it, because to think that we recently learned about Katherine Johnson and what she did to help get man on the moon, that we recently okay. learned about that. Yeah. Uh, think about how many of us, how many young black children, boys and girls, would have mm-hmm. been so much further along knowing what their possibilities were. When we talk about what some of the black inventors have been and what they have done, so much has been just not been made available to us. And so as we The can, number of black scientists, Rufus, just blows my mind. Indeed. When I look at how many patents were originally given to black folks, but we, we just don't know that. So to your point, we have to unearth the accomplishments that are already there. And it's no mystery when you talk about having a black teacher in one of those critical grades, when you're old enough to understand and, and pick up what they're saying, it's, it's, not, it's not shocking that that's what's necessary because they can see beyond all the other things and see what's real in terms of what the, what the abilities are of our young children. So if you only have one and you can reach those heights, imagine what happens yeah. if you're going to have two or three. Imagine That's if right. many of them are there. It just all of this data it was is with just one yes. black teacher in early grades, third, right. fourth, and fifth grades. And again, I didn't encounter a black teacher until my sophomore year at Lane Tech, Miss Slaughter, hmm. who was my English teacher. And she was phenomenal, had expectations that were off the chain for me. But let me be clear. I had phenomenal white teachers all through elementary schools that had high expectations for me as well. So this is not about saying that we only need black teachers in the classroom. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying we need many, many, many more black teachers in the classroom because we just need folks that believe in our children and are able to impart that to them. So, Liz, as I know, an hour wasn't going to be enough, but we're running out of it. But I want to make sure, because you did mention in number two and number three, number two in particular, the philanthropy of black people focused towards this educational effort that you all are putting forth. Talk a little Mm -hmm. bit more about that and then wrap us up because I've got about 45 seconds left. Okay. So, Rufus, like I said, we've got a rich tradition of philanthropy in the black community. We have given to each other and to others for centuries. And we want to bring that tradition back. We want to bring us together and be able to demonstrate the power of collective giving in order to support our leaders in education. And so we're building this community, Rufus. I would ask all of the listeners today to join us in this effort to support educators and in turn allow them to unleash the black genius that is in our community right now. Because one thing we know for sure When we can elevate black children, we elevate all children in the classroom. So please join us in this effort. No better place to end. Love you, Liz. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing all that you're doing. Take care, my friend. Indeed. My best to Don and, and the children.